Hi, Art. Hi, Aaron. How's it going? Good. Season finale. Season finale. It's about time. Yep. Um, I notice. I notice from your a your show notes that this is the pie episode. Yep. This is the pie episode. Up season three, episode fourteen. So most of this episode, like our previous episode, we're going to be spending with someone who remembers some of the details. Um, officially, we're doing the David O. McKay chapters on temples and the final days of David O'Mikay, specifically the time he spent dedicating our local temple, the Oakland Temple. Um, now, because most of the time we're going to be spending with someone who was there during the construction of the Oakland Temple, um, I wonder if we should talk about the other temple stuff first. How does that sound to you? That sounds fine. Um, this chapter was, was interesting enough. Um, I was really taken by the stuff about Oakland because it's super local to me. Um, there's a lot of details about building other temples that isn't as, as interesting to me. Um, but uh, overall, it was really interesting. But the parts that really got me, of course, is the other chapter we did, right? And that's the um, last days chapter. So I read that whole thing. I read all about the final years of McKay's life, and it was pretty touching, right? Yeah, but I did enjoy the stuff about the Oakland Temple. Can we start by talking about the temple ship, or is that just silly? No, it is my favorite part, and uh, <laughs> I know that you seem to interpret it as a joke, but I think it was a brilliant solution, and I wish okay, it so had happened. I, I told still some space of, for that. I told some of my family members here at home, and they sure agreed with you. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was hilarious. Why don't you tell us about this amazing plan? Oh wait, no, let's act it out. Hi, President McKay. How are you? I've got this great idea. Ah, good. Have you been working on solving the problem for the far-flung members of the church close to no temples, dear sir? That's right. I should have said I'm Brother Graf, and I'm in charge of the building committee. <laughs> and I have yeah. this incredible idea. Let's take Let's a boat. It. Let's take a boat, and we're going to drop a temple on it. An entire LDS temple, you know, dress it to the nines, and then sail it around the world. And that's how we're going to solve the problem of members not getting to the temple. And it'll be it'll be great. <laughs> it'll be great. We can loop the world every year or two. Yep. Uh, show up at ports around the world. Unfortunately, our friend, the apostle Alvin Dyer, um, I don't know if this is why it didn't go through, but he was yeah. concerned that the devil rides upon the waters according to the doctrine and covenants, and that it might not be appropriate, therefore, to float a temple. Okay, well, let's skip forward to a couple of years. All right. Okay, I've done all the research, President McKay, and I've got yes. it. Here's the boat. It's going to cost hundred, several hundred thousand dollars to buy it and maintain it year to year, but we're going to do it. What do you say? Crickets, crickets, crickets. <laughs> yeah. He's like, nah, we're not going to do that. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was too bold. It was too exciting. Oh, man. I just love the, the idea of a tabernacle, you know, the old Moses style tabernacle being moved yeah. around on the boat. Um, just but make it huge and put an angel Moroni on it and you know it's um, a lot like the tv show the expanse there's the Nauvoo which is the big name the big spaceship you ever seen that before uh no I, I watched the first episode and it was great but um, yeah. it was too much television to watch on my own and and nobody else <laughs> wants to watch it so <laughs> yep the Nauvoo um just fly it around anyway okay yeah I think it's a fun idea I think it's I think it's a little crazy um, but they didn't do it. Well, you know, and so we um, don't have the a temple boat. 
what kind of churches... crews be like who, who are we going to book as guests i'm sorry this is probably yeah. i'm rabbit holing well last time we <laughs> talked about your your grandfather like you would have to call merchant marines to uh be temple workers oh that's exciting um so the church has announced a temple in kiribati uh, which is looks like it should be spelled kiribati but it's pronounced kiribati uh -huh. And which is the country you may have heard of, which is bound to be the first to sink under the oceans because of climate change. Oh, okay. And so there's a lot of um, uh, wonderment mm -hmm. about what a temple is because the land that they purchased for it is expected to be underwater within 30 years. Um, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe the boat can show up there. Okay. This will just show up and pick the. Maybe they'll make the temple float like in, with an inflatable bottom, so that yeah. when the waters arrive, they can just float it onto the boat and they carry can, it away. They can, yeah, they can save the people. It'll be, it'll be like the, the starship Navu. Save <laughs> Three, the people. Uh, shall we welcome our guest? Not an actual guest present. Yes. But... So, um, my my dear friend Paul. I don't know if you know Paul very well. Tell us a bit about uh, Paul. He's Paul. I. So I don't want to compromise Paul's um, privacy too much, but he is a member of our ward. He is an excellent person. Um, he has one of the strongest and most guileless testimonies I know. Um, he's just he's just one of my favorite people. Um, he's awesome. I maybe I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this clip. I should say, just in case it's necessary to introduce this clip. Uh, the Paul grew up in Palo Alto and Los Altos. Um, he is in his early 60s, and um, and growing up in California was uh, like he loved it. So um, his dad was a ran the particle accelerator at Stanford. Oh whoa whoa, whoa 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 whoa! <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> his dad his dad was the engineer who turned it on and off so the scientists could do their work. Which one? Oh, I didn't realize there was more than one. Yeah. <laughs> Are they all the big one? Because that's uh, the big one. At Stanford? Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's why when I went, you know, in the before times, I used to visit there a lot to collect data. Now it has a different name, I'm sure, than it was back then. But they did a Quite huge possibly. number of experiments there. That is awesome. Yeah. So uh, it's pretty cool. So Eric, our intention when we went into this episode was to talk about the, the temple building that the church did in the 50s. But what we ended up with was a conversation with a truly remar remarkable person, Paul in the Berkeley Ward. That's right. And what we want to do here is talk about Paul, um, some of his experiences um, with the church when he was growing up in the 80s. Um, and, oh, no, uh, in the 60s. Um, when he was growing up in the 60s, yep. So some of his experiences when he was growing up in the 60s, um, when he was more of an adult in the 80s, um, and his um, relationship with the temple here in Oakland, which is so special to him. And we can use that as a springboard for some conversation about David Omoke and the Oakland temple, which is so important to us. But we're very lucky to have had a chance, for, well, for, I guess for you to have had this chance to talk to Paul. But, um, and we didn't really think that Paul would talk too much about him being gay in the church and how that has interacted with his life in the temple and his own testimony and things. But that's just not the kind of person that 
that Paul is. And as you listen to these uh, clips, you'll you'll hear that um, his whole life is fascinating and really um, an interesting part. And he just loves the church. And you'll hear that as he talks about himself and his history in old San Francisco and in the Berkeley Ward. Yeah, I mean, it's fun to talk about things like the temple ship and um, the first temple to have a film strip and some of these other innovations. But I think David O. McKay would agree that the purpose of the temple ultimately is to draw us deeper into our faith and into a relationship with God. And that's something Paul understands, even though he can't go into the temple himself. Paul's um, great uncle was heavily involved in building the temple, which we'll talk about in a minute, but let's introduce Paul first. I wasn't exactly very bold about anything, but I already been like fine walking around on Polk Street as a 17 year old thing. Isn't this wonderful? Yeah. People who like old movies, <laughs> you know, people who are snobbish, who like to collect China. I didn't know, I wasn't even thinking about like the leather bars and the rest of it. I was like, this is a world which I think has wonderful features and then go to BYU. Mm -hmm. And there was no guilt about it. When I was in Washington on for BYU working at the Library of Congress, it was the first time because I wanted to know what was the Metropolitan Community Church, the gay church. Mm -hmm. And so I went, instead of going to church with our ward in Virginia or whatever, I went to that, which, you know, it was, the thing I liked is I liked it. They were super nice, but it wasn't true. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't feel like, yeah. well, they're missing the reason to go to church is to yeah. what I believe. So isn't that kind of, I think it's sort of, I'm glad I experienced that. Like, I love the Episcopalians, like Bruce, when Prop 8 was happening, we would drive up Cedar and say, why don't you go there? They like you. You know, it's on Cedar and right, yeah. Walnut. Yeah, it's real close to But we drive up Cedar to get home. Your... Oh, you do, so. And I have a lot of Episcopalian friends, and they have lots of materialism in the church, beautiful churches, but it's not our, I mean, like what my great uncle said, I believe. You know what he said? is like, this is the, like, if I had, the ability to go into the temple, the four things that they talked about in general conference, the first four questions, emphatically. I have, you know, it's obvious, that's true to yeah. me, it's fine. Paul has just this purity of faith that I admire so much. And um, spending three hours with him talking about a lot of different things, but always circling back to his uncle, Arthur Price, who was instrumental in getting many temples built. He worked on the Phoenix Temple back in the 20s, and David O. McKay still trusted him to make sure temples were up to temple standard, even when he was an, a very, very old man um, in the late 60s, building the Oakland Temple. Well, that was great. Thanks. It gives us to let, helps us get to know Paul a bit better and his um, testimony. Yeah, and and we will, Paul was just a kid at the time. He was uh, too young to attend um, the dedication or even the, um, the walkthrough, the open house. But he was up there at the temple site more or less weekly because his uncle Arthur 
had um, co-raised his father after, after his grandfather had passed away, Arthur had moved in and taken that place and helped raise Paul's father. I see. And so he was there all the time. Mm -hmm. we, I'll be sharing some images with you of, oh, actually, let me just find those right now so we can talk about them. Um, Let's set this up a bit. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna um, talk about the Oakland Temple a lot. It was one of the, I mean, it was in the there weren't even ten temples finished when it was finished, right? And this is one of the earliest temples made. It it is an early temple. It's the last uh, finished in the McKay era, but uh, among the other ones finished while he was the prophet are Switzerland and New Zealand and London and Los Angeles. Um, Washington has begun but not finished. Ogden and Provo were begun but not finished. It is, it's still an early era. Like the first ones, excepting Hawaii that are off the North American plate are built in his time. Mm -hmm. And this again is part of his um, internationalization of the church, right? Is building lots right. of temples in new places. Uh, even, although of course, you know, this we're talking about one in the USA, but um, that's one of the things this chapter focuses on is, you know, making sure to get the funding and so forth to get this, um, these temples going. Um, and the Oakland Temple um, is, it's a masterpiece if you've, ever, if you've never seen it. Um, I remember the first time I interviewed at, not the grad school I ended up going to, but one of the grad schools I applied at was up here in this area. And the person I was with drove past the temple, right? Not a member of the church. And they're like, okay, that's the mothership up there. <laughs> it's visible throughout the entire bay. If you're no matter where you are, you can look and see where see the temple standing out on the hill. Giant I have a and, fun story for and, you and lit. Go for it. In 2000, when California had severe energy problems and rolling blackouts, mm -hmm. and the state asked everyone to turn off their lights who possibly could, and the church complied by turning off the lights on the temple. And then they got a phone call asking to turn the lights back on because ships navigating the Golden Gate use the Oakland Temple as a important landmark to make sure that they are proceeding safely oh, that's great <laughs> okay i don't know if 20 years later if maybe gps has made that irrelevant but uh maybe not i don't know all right so you've sent me a photo album of press of uh, i assume this is president mckay i uh, know this is not president mckay this is arthur price oh it is who okay. was not the architect and was not the uh contractor but he would sit up so the the building that's now the temple president's home or the mission president's home excuse me was arthur price's home during the construction of the temple and he sat in his room with his binoculars and he would occasionally walk over to the site and say this wall is a quarter inch offline and they would recheck it and sure enough it would be a quarter inch offline and that was his job was to make sure everything was absolutely perfect. And he was absolutely fastidious. Uh, the way you see him dressed here in the suit and tie, that is how he always dressed. He always dressed that way. It didn't matter that he was working on the temple or going to church or uh, uh, getting a hamburger. If getting hamburgers is something he did, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But that is. And so you can see, and this is Paul's family visiting him. Um, there's the photo at the very bottom. You can see Paul as a very young child with um sister mother great uncle and the growing temple behind him that's a great picture yeah there it's a really terrific collection of photos uh while we were talking paul called his sister and um 
among other things, he collected this these photographs. She she sent them over. Um, I do want to share the the reason he called is to share a an inscription that he had included. Excuse me, Arthur had included in a book he'd given to Paul's sister. And uh, let me capture myself reading this. Um, I will, we will include the photo of this in the show notes at faceandhat.com. Mm -hmm. um, his handwriting is incredible. Like, um, Paul cares deeply about beautiful things as you may have picked up in the introductory clip. And uh, he is convinced that it must be related to his great uncle. It's so rare to have a member of have a member <laughs> who holds a priesthood in this house. But look what he said in his writing. Uh, let's see. I'll skip the her name. Oh, 9th February, nineteen fifty-one. Okay, San Diego. A member of the one and only Church possessing a God-given charter of authority. Proof is assured by daily living its principles. Arthur Price, March third, nineteen. 59. Yeah, oh, so for baptism. Oh, for baptism. Right. Got it. But do you see the writing itself? It's so beautiful. Like, I love and that's the A every and the single R. thing he ever wrote. So, Arthur Price is the sort of person who every letter he ever writes for any purpose is beautiful. Um, absolutely beautiful. And he's the one that the prophet assigns to take care of that, that the temple is perfect and beautiful in every way. Aaron, check out that handwriting. Okay, great. Let me look. Oh, that is amazing. Isn't that lovely? It looks like something out of a Tolkien novel. Yes, you can see a connection to the way Tolkien writes. I totally agree. Uh -huh. And another man from possibly the same generation who had beautiful handwriting. Okay, well, this is very cool. So Arthur um, was greatly involved in the temple. Can you describe to me a bit of his responsibilities then? Yes. So um, I mentioned the binocular story. So here's another story. This is actually relevant to the photos. Oh, here's a picture of them. Gail, who I just talked to, there she is with Arthur Price looking down at where the baptismal font is going to be. Can I move over there? Just yes, please. That's a better chair than you tell me. So that's Gail. And that's Arthur. Isn't that neat? Oh, that's exciting. And I think that's where the font is going to go, where mm -hmm. the oxen. According to what I remember with my dad, mm -hmm. is that they made it so the top, of, like the tower was added. I mean, the actual gold part. But the center of the tower that supports the, um, sorry, to, but there's the tower. And then there's the upper structure of the temple is that the font was, um, um, they had like a, what is that thing that you drop that makes something? A little plumb line? Yes, precisely. That it had to be exact, like the center of the font is the center of the tower, which is the center of oh. the top tower. Okay. So it's supposed to be exactly mm -hmm. right. I like that kind of thing. Of course I like it. <laughs> Okay, so this is what Arthur Price did. Arthur, Uncle Arthur, his job was to make sure that Oakland Temple's central tower was perfectly placed above the font. So they shared the exact same center point. That sort of precision 
um, that is what that is what he does. It sounds um, my uncle mentioned uh, finish work as um, yes. one of the points in the episode. This sounds like what you're describing here. It, it is. And um, and as as Paul points out, this isn't just empty actions or or hollow themes, as we discussed in our episode about the Manti Temple. Um, things are a way of worshiping. Let me give you another clip. It's not just the, the religion. It's like everything about like, um, I, I respect them for using their passions or his passion for perfection and making it into a building that people can admire and making sure that the, the pool is lined up perfectly because that's mm -hmm. all part of his way to worship God. Yeah. It's like you can't get it good enough or if you, you have to get it as good as you can. So walking around the terraces and looking at the building, it seems very natural if you remember the person, you know, who with the soup spoon and the way the napkin was done and the way he kept his house was just, it was so natural to have everything be, it wasn't perfect, he was poor. I mean, compared to like our world now, yeah, they were not wealthy people. That didn't matter. I don't say it didn't matter, but it, that wasn't his emphasis. And I guess I, I, I don't like the word inherited, but I must have. How did it happen? <laughs> this is what I think is really interesting about Arthur Price, as Paul explains him to me, but also about David O. McKay and something they share and why David O. McKay wanted Arthur on this building project. The people who take on these tasks do them the way the people will do them. And if you want something done perfectly, you choose someone whose form of worship is to make something perfectly. And uh, Brother Price was the person who could do that. David O. McKay put him in charge because he knew that the waterfall would be perfectly aligned with the front of the building, that the tower would be perfectly placed atop the font. It's his form of worship. And that is what's required when you're building the temple. That's really cool. Tell me more. All right. Well, let's, let's take a break, shall we? And learn about how Paul joined the church. Um, let's go back to the beginning of his story. Uh, he grew up in Wales. He was the son of a sculptor. His father died, um, but he, and then later his brother, Paul's grandfather, and their mother would join the church in Liverpool. So let's pick it up from around there. But oh, back to why wouldn't I not exist? My Arthur was the older brother. My grandfather's from 1886, I think. Arthur was almost 10 years older, and he met the missionaries and joined the church before. His mother, my great-grandmother, or my grandfather. They're very poor, living in Liverpool. Um, and like the baptism of my grandfather, which is a big deal. I gave a talk in the Berkeley Ward about it. It was like a miraculous, beautiful thing. My sister, who's married to an Englishman, has gone to Liverpool, walked on the beach where they 
people had to be baptized in the beach because there's literally no other place and they had to do them at night because people objected uh. to those crazy Mormons. <laughs> and so um, my grandfather was led into the religion by his brother, by that one yeah. brother who was from the beginning when he joined the church to the end of his life had no doubts about its truth ever. I didn't realize your family was so, so, I mean, I guess it's not that recent, 150 years ago, but. But anyway, back to the, but Arthur, cause that's what you're here for. Arthur, if Arthur hadn't joined the church and believed in it so strongly, I would not be alive because his brother wouldn't have joined and then all that cascade of events. Yeah. It's a huge deal. And it's kind of, because my the grandfather, who's my dad's father, died very early. Mm-hmm. He, died in, he had a heart attack running to the bus in Salt Lake City in 1955 and dropped. Well, he fell to the sidewalk. And then they took him somewhere else and he died. Mm-hmm. His brother, who they were always close, became like the grandfather. Mm-hmm. Or his, the, the father for my dad. Because my the actual grandfather... I will tell my... Because I'm not allowed to give a talk in the ward... But I think someday I will give a, like, bear my testimony because he was, my dad's father was, had the most tragic and sad series of events through his life. However, the passion to the church and the religion and every single thing about it, like I feel from the jello to the prophet, (laughs) there's nothing I don't love. It's sort of like almost overwhelming sometimes. Mm -hmm despite the fact that I'm married to a man who is an atheist. So Arthur, I mean, he joins the church at a time where there are steamships rather than sailing ships, but 1904-ish is when they come across, and uh, it's still the same story as the earlier pioneers or of many later pioneers of giving everything up and having to create a new world, and um, they're never wealthy people. They they work for a living, and... Um, they have their successes and they have their setbacks, but uh, they live their lives and they are committed to the faith um, every single moment. And something that Paul kept returning to is this idea of the temple as core to this and, and what it means to be a Latter-day Saint. Okay, and in particular, Paul is talking about the death of his mother and how hard it, it was on him. And... Um, you know, his faith through that experience. Like I wanted to, well, how, why would you want to be alive anymore when they're not here? The only things that really have made it, like, of course I want to be alive, are our religion, like my belief in it. Even like in those things, like I, I thought I was going to die when my mother was in the mortuary, like I'd have to kill myself. Like who can endure that? But going in there, and with her Relief Society friends and what they did, which is just like, I should I should be a missionary. <laughs> like to say to people like, the worst things that you can experience in this world, which is things like that, this is exactly where you should be. It's part of this culture. This is where they, there's no other culture that can do this. And why is the culture like that? Because it's based on the, the foundation of love one another. Like, you know, for the Mormon ladies mm-hmm. to take care of your mother mm-hmm. when 
that's kind of a cool thing, isn't it? I mean, I know you haven't experienced it, but it changed me. My mother, for the first time I ever saw her in the temple clothes, I'd never seen her. She didn't go to the temple when I was, you know, a viable adult. And she was more beautiful there in her casket than I'd ever seen her. That's saying the temple, like what it does. <laughs> that's, that's what the temple's about. <laughs> but even my dad agreed because he put their veil. They didn't have a viewing. It was just in, oh. it was just the Relief Society. My parent, my dad, mm-hmm. a few of my sisters and I, and then they closed their casket, and the funeral was you know, later, a few days later. But I'll never. That was quite life changing mm-hmm. to see her like that. Um, it didn't make me jealous of people who got to see people and their parents. It made me more appreciative because it was such a rare event. It happened once. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. And that's the last time I saw her remains. It's just so beautiful and sacred to me. And I guess, I guess I'm going to get more. How could, if you already have a strong faith, how can you get more? But it seems like it is as I'm getting older. Here we get to learn a bit about um, how he feels about the temple, right? And yeah, the meaning of the symbol, the the, the meaning of the symbols. And we're talking about with, someone with his parents who can't go inside. Um, I mean, he did go on the tour when for the recent open house before the rededication five times, and that's mm. definitely a bit we should play. But um, Paul is someone who one of the reasons that I admire him is because um, he knows who he is so clearly and no one else can take that away from him. And to be a gay Latter-day Saint over the last 60 years is to have a number of people who you might argue are trying to take that away from you. And certainly it's not a crazy way to feel, but Paul is so centered and certain about who he is that no one, no one can take that away from him. And that's what the temple is about to him. He, he feels this way because it, families are forever because of the way we do marriage. And he, um, he maintains from his grandfather's generation what he received and from his parents' generation. And these are the things that he holds on to. Paul is such a fixture in my family's life um, because I remember the first, the first time we got um, sacrament meeting in hybrid mode played by Zoom during the pandemic, um, Paul led the music, right? And I sat down with my kids and uh, the missus and I said, look guys, there's an actual Paul leading the music sitting there in the actual pulpit. Look, the world is getting better again. And just seeing him there just brightened our entire lives as we realized that his, his face in this case, his mask <laughs> faced, I suppose, meant the world was getting better again. <laughs> so uh, he's always been so lovely. Um, and um, just hearing him talk about things that are precious to him is just a, a delight. Well, and I think it's so valuable because we do have a lot of um, pain in the church. And research suggests that uh, one of the reasons that people younger than us are leaving is because our faith doesn't seem to them to be speaking directly to 
questions that matter the most to them. So LGBTQ questions or climate change, for instance, um, issues that seem urgent and important. And, um, and Paul somehow finds answers to those questions through the faith. Um, I'm gonna play another clip. Here's another one about his mother and, um, and when he first came out to her. <laughs> because outside of her home, she was following my father around. She, you know, she was very docile. Mm -hmm. But that's to describe why she probably accepted my gayness. Like, oh, you know, there how was old were you when, when they found? Me. Yeah, um, she didn't dis discover it until I left BYU, or she didn't. We didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. But the thing that was quite remarkable, which is linking to me very importantly is neither of my parents ever, I mean, that's a big deal, ever said anything like they were disappointed. Oh, ever. that's remarkable for the era. But no, I, I actually was planning to tell this to you. Oh, yeah, please like do. Yeah, like what happened, because it's interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm curious. Um, because actually there's a whole gay Mormon thing where they're based in Menlo Park, and they talk about, I have a hard time with people who become, for whatever reason, very hostile to the religion, to mm -hmm. our religion. I just have a hard time listening to them sometimes because I, um, it's hard. I just, it never sits well with me. People should experience what they want and express how they want about it. Sure. But in my case, um, I, can't, um, I went to BYU, then I transferred to Berkeley and then fell in love with this extremely handsome smoking physics major. It looks sort of like I'll show you his picture if I can find it. Clark Gable, very in a dark personality that masks like extremely caustic sense of humor, which is really funny. <laughs> so like, he wasn't gay when I met him, but he was within a year or so. But anyway, my parents were wondering, my mother particularly, like, what is happening, and then. Um, I remember some things like there's just it came in my mind like she picked us up to go to the movies so these two this he wasn't smoking in front of my parents or anything but my first love you know I guess we couldn't drive and my mother had to pick us up and drive us to Palo Alto oh. in a Volkswagen bus <laughs> and I remember her like looking in the rearview mirror at this man like what's happening which is kind of a big deal like I'm in love I didn't say that to her then mm -hmm. but then um we were sitting in the living room. This kind of looks like my bedroom upstairs, which you'll see. And then we had a discussion. And I know my mother was, she cried. Like, I don't know what I'm going to tell your father, but I'll have to. Um, but that was it. And then from that moment, never. Any kind of like, oh, we're, we're, this is such a devastating thing. Nothing ever like that. Ever. I'm so glad to hear that. However, the city and the gay... Like the triangle is on the mountain over there right now, at the top of the Oh, right, yeah, I saw that. I drove to work and it was over there. Um, having that nearby gave like a whole different, like that being people being proud and people being like happily themselves mm -hmm. was a big part of, I think, the way I was raised. Like, um, like why would somebody condemn this? if this is what you are, mm -hmm. 
but also my mother's independence and her feminism, I'm sure, was part of the equation of being just being very careful to never let them know if they were disappointing. They had one son, mm-hmm. six girls, one son. And the one son they have is first with Steve. <laughs> then, unfortunately, he died, and sadly. Mm-hmm. And then now with Bruce. And so that's a beautiful gift to give a Mormon youth. I completely agree, yeah. I mean, we're, like, there's no question, like, the love was never, like, measured. Isn't that nice? It's so beautiful, and, like, I've heard stories like that recently, but I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Even people, like, 30 years younger than you, I don't know many people who had that experience. Well, it's also, I, I credit it to who they are. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the being married in the way they are, like all of our parents were, somehow it just translated differently to my parents. When you say you're going to love your child unconditionally, they really do that. They really believed it. Yeah. Okay, that was really cool to hear how supportive his mother was. You have another clip, I understand, that is longer uh, about his uh, mother as well. I want to understand the clip a bit better. Tell me um, some of the names. Um, We have Victor, who I heard. Yeah, so uh, the, the basic story is um, one of Paul's friends died. It's 1989. Paul is putting together the funeral. And um, his mother comes to the funeral. And the person who died is someone who had always wanted to meet Paul's mother because his own mother had rejected him for being gay. And he couldn't communicate with her without it turning into a fight. And he had always wanted to meet Paul's mother. And Paul's mother came to the funeral for this man who never had the chance to actually meet her before he died and uh, cried at his funeral, a funeral his own mother wouldn't come to. Like my parents with me went through the deaths of friends from AIDS, Mm -hmm. including Steve and the way they handled that, which was very, that's a, this is way off the subject, but however, it's important. They, um, I found out later, my mother was just terrified. Like, of me, like her mm-hmm. son. She didn't know that I'm like the most uptight, prissy person who's not sleeping with these people. They're just they're friends of mine. But she was still like um, at their funerals. Like mm-hmm. one particular one is in Grace Cathedral. Do you know where that is? In San Francisco on Knob Hill. Oh, yeah. Okay, a yeah. friend of mine, I designed his funeral. Oh. Well, and because his partner was, well, no, we designed it, but he said, what do you want? (laughs) Because I was close to the man who passed away. Yeah. And Um, that's a hard job for a partner. Yeah. He died also, unfortunately. So I went through all this death, but my mother was at Victor's funeral. Never forget this. It was such like, I wish I could write this into a little book. Mm -hmm. So Grace Cathedral is like for socialites and the grand people. I and we wanted it in the mad and the chapel next part of the cathedral but he was more intimate and elegant space and like Victor wanted all this crazy stuff like I don't like my casket to be rolled I want to carry <laughs> like he's the queen yes <laughs> <laughs> and I found the song I actually decided on from um, Handel's Saul the march from Saul you know what that is I don't know it's I just, as tragic as I don't, you can I don't know that Handel <laughs> 
Okay, so I, I love Handel, but I, I'm not this familiar. Is like, I, I think, haven't even heard of that one, I don't think so. Well, look it up. I will. The March of the Dead from Saul. And imagine the great work. It was like people are grieving and crying, and then this, you hear the music and this mm-hmm. casket that's being brought in mm-hmm. by these gay men. That sounds and overwhelming. I, <laughs> I wanted it like that. I wanted it uh-huh. like, because he died, he was my well, friend. Yeah, we it should wasn't mourn, a, right? When it's time to mourn. He's actually Episcopalian, you know, they're different than we are. The, the, the deceased. But what I remember about my parents was um, they, they drove up and my mother was there first. My parents were there first mm-hmm. before any guests. But so Victor had a difficult relationship with his mother, who was from Los Angeles, and she was very glamorous. She's deceased now too. Like they fought on the phone and swore mm-hmm. at each other. Like, and so his mother wasn't didn't come up to be with her son when he passed away. This happened a lot. You know, they just. She showed up and bought beautiful clothes at Saks Fifth Avenue for the funeral. Mm-hmm. And I do, you know, people have different, I'm not judging his mother, but I just remember like my mother coming up, I can't remember what car they drove, but it was not very fancy. And they were there really early at, at Grace Cathedral, which is, you know, San Francisco is like the suburbs in San Francisco, it's a different world, mm-hmm. but they found themselves there. My sister was with them. And I just remember, like, my mother had never met the person who died. And the, another thing that happened is Victor Victor wanted to meet them. And I wasn't, like, I loved Victor, but I, and I loved my parents' house, and I liked the fact that my mother would have been just, like, super adorable to him. But I kept it from happening. We'd mm-hmm. get as far as the airport, and then turn around because it was also Victor's car was really crummy and would break down or whatever. <laughs> but that's part of what I'm telling you like this person who was in a casket being carried wanted to meet my mother particularly because he didn't mm-hmm. have a mom like that yeah he was his mother was, was this the person they would use the f word on the come like talking to one another yeah and he we would talk about my parents like you know it was just something you can't it's hard to describe. It's actually, this is 1989, so it's not that long ago, but it seems like yesterday. So anyway, she's in, my parents are in grace, and everybody stands up when the casket comes in. And I wasn't part of the procession or anything, but I remember, like, she was just overwhelmed with emotion. She was crying heavily. And it was, like, I was looking at her like, you didn't even know him. But she was looking at this, you know, this tragedy. He's this guy who worked for Standard Oil and it should be alive. Right. And it's, but part of my, um, my love for like, for like us, like our faith is that. I don't know why I link like this feminist mother who's crying at an AIDS, a person who died of AIDS funeral. But it's like, she was really like filled with that's the core that's the core right there do we love people um i'm really intrigued by what paul's expressing here this idea that if we know people if we understand them then we will have love for them which reminds me a lot of what jesus says in the new testament 
Um, we are to love people and we do that by serving them. And, um, and uh, if the temple, I mean, the temple is designed to make us, to get us to know each other in a different way, in a more eternal way. And Paul's reaction to this is that this is what, you know, Mormonism is, right? This is what the yeah. love of people can give you. Yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we will share the part where he goes on the temple tours, but um, his favorite room is, is the dark paneled ceiling rooms in the temple. And um, I was married in one of those rooms and, and he, he points out that all these scenes are connected, right? The, the room in which the ceiling happens, the ceiling itself, the people who come out of those kind of ceilings, when the system is working the way it's supposed to work, which it did for Paul, um, all those things are bound together by love and goodness and excellent, wonderful people are the result. And Paul is very generous with this. So like one of my favorite prophets is uh, Spencer W. Kimball. I was in the tabernacle and I remember I was sitting next to my grandmother hearing him say the word homosexuality. And I don't remember what they said about it, but it was very bad. Mm -hmm. Like a crime like mur worse than murder or as Something akin like to. Yeah, I was sitting there uh -huh. and I still loved him. And I remember being embarrassed for the word, but I could in my mind say, well, how would a wonderful old man like that ever understand me? He couldn't. He's not from California. He doesn't know San Francisco or mm -hmm. the, the world of Harvey Milk or whatever. Right. This is like, I didn't judge him, meaning the prophet, for feeling that way. How could I? We've talked about Paul and his feeling towards the temple. We've talked about Paul and his feeling towards his mother and his appreciation of the love that we have, right? Mm -hmm. For all that, for all of this. Um, we've talked a surprising amount of, about being gay. <laughs> surprising to <laughs> me because I didn't know that that's where this episode was going to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I didn't either. When I planned to talk to Paul, I thought it, it might come up. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, the reason Paul can be so thoroughly gay and so thoroughly Mormon um, to him is inseparable from the doctrines of the temple. Like the temple allows him to be himself and to be a member of the faith, even though he can't worship in the temple, which is so spiritually generous of him. And I think a really positive example to us as a whole. I don't know what the lesson is exactly, but we can definitely learn from him. I want to understand more about David O. McKay and the Oakland Temple, right? Mm -hmm. by, the t by the time he dedicates the temple, he is incredibly old. Yeah, we have to and tell that story for sure. By the time he gets to, by the time he, the temple dedication arrives, it's not too long after he's had a stroke. He's in his 90s, if I remember right. And people and his doctors are like, you can't go, can't go, right? But he yes. goes, right? He does. And it's, um, it's miraculous that he can actually do the dedication. Why don't you tell me a bit more about um, Arthur? Um, he seems really interesting. And I, I'm surprised I don't know more about him. So 
there is more about him in Enzyme to the Nations, The History of the Oakland Stake, which is a terrific book. Um, oh, I didn't know that book existed. Oh, it's so good. Um, the, you can check it out from the Ward Library. They have three copies. That's where uh -huh. I first read it. Okay. But Arthur Price is, has, there's some great stories about him, like the binocular story I mentioned comes from there. But, you know, Arthur Price doesn't care that you don't know who he is. I've learned from this is when people like that, Arthur, David O. McKay is the president of the church. Most people know nothing about Arthur Price. That is fine with him. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's like, his personality. That was. Arthur Price wasn't doing it for the praise. He wasn't, he didn't make the temple as excellent as it could possibly be because he wanted to be remembered. He had no interest in that. He just wanted to do the best work he possibly could. Paul, as a child, during the time the temple was being built, lived in the South Bay, and his family would come up weekly to visit with Arthur and stay in his home on the temple grounds and do little tours. And he had his finger, well, uh, Paul, I should say, had his little finger on the pulse of what his great uncle was doing. That's really cool. Um... Yeah, being in, I mean, it's it's one thing to be so close to the chapels as they're being built, right? I mean, being that close to the temple is very cool too. It is, and he was very young, right? He was too young to attend the dedication. He was too young even to go on the tour at the time, but he was able to attend the tour before the recent rededication. Let's let's hear a little bit about Paul's experience. But this will have been one of the only times he's ever been into this temple he loves. That's right. And that's why he went on multiple tours, because he spent his life loving the building and visiting the grounds regularly, but he had never been inside. And interestingly, when I first went in the first of the five tours I took when it was open, because I'm not allowed in the temple. Um, I'm glad you went on multiple tours. Oh, I had to, because the first one was with my whole family. And it was just so it was the first day and it was kind of insane. Yes. My second to the last one was with Dean. And Nancy. And then my last one was alone, mm -hmm. which was all of them were fascinating in different ways. But my first one, I didn't like the architecture. I liked the decor. I liked, mm -hmm. but, the, but the floor plan and the windowless rooms mm -hmm. bothered me. Like, I just didn't understand it. And part of it was the staircases in the corners, and they're they're lower than I would expect. They're not like they are a little tight. It's like a, it's like a. But then by my last tour, mm -hmm. everything at the building. That's why I'm, I never trust my first opinion about mm -hmm. anything. I never will probably like the staircases, but they remind me of something. You're going into a pyramid and going through it, a, like a tunnel inside going up. Yes. <laughs> um, but since the only other temple I've been in is the one in Arizona that they finished. And my crazy friend who's an atheist took me on an airplane to Arizona mm -hmm. so we could go in together. Mm -hmm. And it's taste, it's more traditional in style. This Gilbert, Arizona. Oh, it's one of the newer ones. Yeah. Right. But it's very grand. Lots mm -hmm. of pale green and pale greenish blue silk. <laughs> Lots <Yes>. of windows. <laughs> a Titanic set. Not the Titanic ship, but the movie set Titanic. Yes. <laughs> staircase mm -hmm. modernistically but sort of not that modern so i had that in my mind and then the oakland temple with the four staircases it seemed like pyramid tunnels just i found hard to deal with so all the other tours i just took the elevator oh mm -hmm. which my dad always took the elevator so and he wasn't with us but i could do the same thing and then the final thing which is and again it's about the temple so i guess it's sort of appropriate to say my, one of my favorite experiences was 
my last tour the day before it was going to close. It was a Friday after work. I was just inspired to go there, so I did. Drove, and of course, they were thrilled to have, it was like, there was hardly anybody there compared to other days. And maybe that time there was a lot, there's gay women, Oakland gay ladies, who were kind of, we were sort of stuck behind some crowds, and they were like, wow, look at this place. <laughs> and the whole tour, I caught some of their enthusiasm. Yeah. Like, it was Oakland. There were black people, there were people, like the gay people, I was there. But it was like, I think that was my last one, but definitely on the last one. So I took the tour, and I analyzed things differently, because it's the fifth time I've seen it. Really looking right everything. The plastic plants, they didn't bother me anymore. The silk flowers don't bother me anymore because mm-hmm. I understand the reasoning. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it more and more and more. The windowless part, I liked. Mm-hmm. Considering what I believe is happening in the instruction rooms, it seems like we are protecting you. The world could mm-hmm. blow up and you're basically in a vault. Mm-hmm. That's how sacred this is. And we're not kidding. Yeah. Because that's in my blood. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not kidding. <laughs> and then um, we, they never showed, they never let people go into the wedding room, which is ceiling room number six and seven. Which So I, I stopped, but there was a nice lady who didn't know I was a Mormon or anything. Mm-hmm. Sort of at the door of number seven, there are dark paneled rooms yes. that are small, maybe 10 people, like smaller mm-hmm. than my dining room. Maybe not that small, but they're smallish rooms. And have really beautiful Japanese silk on chairs. And the big sort of out-of-scale chandelier. And I stopped and I was looking at it. And I said, you know, I've gone on this tour several times. And looked at every room that they are showing. And this is my favorite room in this building. And the woman who was there said, (laughs) All she's doing is keeping people from walking in. Right. Or No, that wasn't all. And she said, you know, it's mine too. And what I wanted to tell her, I couldn't, because what I really thought about it, it's not just the elegance that compared to some of the other rooms is actually more, a more tasteful, yeah. more precious looking, because yeah. it's a the small size. Thing. But it's the what it means. Like, this is the beginning of a family in our culture. It's fascinating to hear him talk about it. And semi-heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. He, lo- he loves it so much. <laughs> right. Um, we we shared a clip, and I don't know if it's before or later because of the editing that will happen, but mm-hmm. we talked about him seeing his mother just before the casket was closed, in her temple closed, the first time he'd seen his mother in her temple closed, and how he didn't, he wasn't jealous of people who got to see their parents that way. For him, if anything, it was more precious because it was the only time. And that's and that's the thing about Paul and his experience at the temple is is he sees it as something that is shared with him and that can be shared with other people. Um, I, I want to share one more clip. This is actually the very last thing we talked about before I stopped recording. But to me, like yeah. when we drive up there and see the building, everybody comes at it differently, even within our culture. I don't think of it as money, mm-hmm. like whatever whatever they're spending on it. Yeah, I think of it as this is what we are doing to worship. And then someone could say, can't you worship better by giving the money to the people who are living there, the temple who have no money? Well, actually, both 
are important. Yeah. Now, like even saying those words, I want both to happen, but it's so important to me that the temple be pristine. It's like mm-hmm. down in my my gut mm-hmm. when I see dachshunds being trolling across the lawn. I think, why is that happening? Yeah. <laughs> I love it with the Kensineras who are there every yes. like two days All ago. The yeah. <laughs> well, they've come back. Oh, I think that's you know they've stopped mm-hmm. for a while. I think that's one of the most wonderful things that happens there. I love it, yeah. It's not that they think of it as Oz, because mm-hmm. they're sort of Glinda-looking. Yeah, that's true. I haven't thought of that. <laughs> well, because remember Washington, D.C., the, the, uh, yes. the sign that's painted over mm-hmm. and over. But Oakland, they're doing it because of the beauty. Mm-hmm. Because where can you go, not just in Oakland, but anywhere, and have what they're experiencing? No yeah. place. Nothing is like that. So I hope it goes on and on. And that, yes, Mormon weddings will sometimes have a conflict photography-wise with... The, years, but, but it's their color. Like, yeah. when I was there the other day, there was burgundy and all the men, burgundy ties. And then one in really, really bright turquoise. And I complimented, because I was walking by, like, I just think that's fabulous. So one of the fathers of each or mm-hmm. a man who was there i if you ran it wouldn't you encourage it oh yeah that's getting people on the property that's yeah but my understanding is they absolutely want not necessarily the, the limo that looks the limousine that looks like a bus right <laughs> but they make those park outside which i think is the right the right choice well they have to <laughs> aaron how do you feel about the quinceaneras i've seen them and i love them so for um but so tell me more about them. Um, I've always been a bit um, appreciative of them. I just think they're so pretty. Um, <laughs> I don't know how I describe it. I just think they're so cool. And um, but they're not LDS. These folks that are doing their quinceaneras, right? Well, I'm I'm sure some of them are, but no. I mean, the quinceaneras. Uh, it's a Mexican tradition. It goes back. It's an Aztec a tradition. I mean, obviously the Aztecs weren't wearing pink dresses and coming to the Oakland Temple, but but like it's an ancient tradition that predates Europe in Mexico. And obviously it's evolved in the way it's evolved, but I just think it's so great that the girls come on their 15th birthday with all their friends dressed fancy and get their photos taken at the temple. I think it's really cool. It does feel something unique to Oakland that we get quinceaneras um, uh, happening <laughs> on our temple grounds. Yeah, I don't know if I would be able to find it for the show notes because I have sometimes I can find it and sometimes I can't, but there's... A fellow in Oakland who has a tattoo of the Oakland Temple, who's not LDS, and underneath uh-huh. the temple is written Oakland in a Disney script and looks like the Disney logo. Uh-huh. But a temple should be a shining light on the hill. It should be something the ships see when they come in. It should be something people can notice when they're passing by on BART, and it should be part of their community, even if even if they can't go inside. Like the temple should represent goodness and um civic pride in some way um i want to okay well what, what else you got what are the cool stories you have um well tied to that one i i, I don't think i'm going to play the clip for it but arthur told me about the death of it or excuse me not arthur uh paul paul told me about the death of his first husband they were living in an apartment at lake Merritt, and um was his, it steve steve yeah it is steve and steve could see the oakland temple from his bedroom window um and 
that's the temple, right? Like Paul, Paul didn't keep that room for himself. That was Steve's room. And the temple is just everywhere. And it is everywhere. Like as you drive around Oakland, like you can orient yourself by seeing where the temple is. We almost lost it. Going back to the chapter. Um, we bought the property and then didn't build on it for a while. And then had to go back and like make some kind of closed room deals, you know, in the room where it happened, as it, it were. <laughs> it was tricky. Yeah, we haven't told this story, but it's worth telling. When George yeah. Albert Smith was an apostle, before he was even president of the church, he was in town. And by town, I actually don't mean the town. I mean the city. <laughs> mm -hmm. for lo local, local lingo, got to get it correct. Uh, he was in San Francisco for an important Boy Scouts of America meeting. And he was meeting with the stake president and they were in... Um, some room eating looking out over the bay and George Albert Smith had a vision of a temple in the East Hills and over the years there was a an ad hoc temple committee like looking for the property that would come and eventually they settled they were sure the property was the property they couldn't buy it um, then a war happened and then this happened and this happened like it was complicated and it was a long process. And finally they owned the property, but there's no way to do construction there. And then the state built highway 13 right next to the property. Um, it was a temple scene in vision and it took a lot of people, a lot of time to finally make it happen. I want to tell the full story about um, David O'McKay and the dedication, right? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, we've been talking for almost two hours and I know you're gonna cut a lot of it out, but. Um, we definitely have to end with the dedication. Okay. Um, do you, I mean, um, so he was real old. He gets up. I mean, tell me more. So as you pointed out earlier, he had had a stroke and he was not well. He was indeed in the final months of life. Um, everyone expected that he would assign someone to dedicate the temple in his place, but he didn't assign someone and he didn't assign someone he wrote the talk himself. I mean, intellectually, he was still sharp, but he was so physically weak. Um, he couldn't stand by himself. He couldn't walk by himself. And uh, the general assumption was he was going to have his son, Lawrence, read the, read the dedicatory prayer. Um, but there were, there were other general authorities present. Uh, there were other people who could have done it. Nobody knew for sure what was going to happen. And then the morning session came, and he asked for help to get to the pulpit, which was not a permanent pulpit. It was solid enough, but it was not attached to the ground or anything. And he stood there and his strength came back and he delivered the dedicatory prayer. And at the end, Lawrence McKay turned to the family doctor and said, is he going to be able to do this again in the afternoon? And the doctor said, like, if I hadn't been here, I would not have believed what just happened. Like, this is out of our hands. This is in the Lord's hands. And as soon as he was done with the prayer, he was weak again, but he did give the prayer again just as strongly in the afternoon as well. It was, as far as I know, the last great miracle of a prophet's life. Um, he was in decline and he continued to decline and he was gone not much after. It's such a cool story. Um, it's so cool that it happened like just not too far from here, right? That um, this temple was dedicated that way. Um, Excellent. You said you were sealed there? I was. Yeah. I was sealed in the Oakland Temple. Lindsay grew up here in the Bay Area. And um, they are beautiful rooms. Everybody has their temple, right? The one that is their favorite. For me, it's the Portland Temple. Um, I just love it so much. But um, 
it's so cool to hear about this history of this one, of this giant edifice. So in the show notes, we're going to have some pictures. Um, go ahead and take a look. I guess we really want to thank Paul. We do. And I would encourage for a bit of preaching at the end to, we should all follow Paul's example. Like he knows the history of the place he lives in. And knowing the history of where I live, like knowing the history of the Oakland Temple and the Berkeley Ward has helped me feel like a part of the church where I stand. And that is one of the great messages of David O'McKay's ministry, which we're wrapping up this week, is the church is everywhere. And every member of the church needs to be a saint where they are. And Paul is, is a great example to me of that. Well, thank you, Paul. And thank you, Arthur, for bringing us Paul and the Oakland Temple. And thank you, Paul, for the delicious crackers. <laughs> um, that's it for the season. Um, I don't know what we're going to do next season. We're probably not going to follow another book. We'll go back to more free format episodes on stuff we're interested in. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. You have an opinion on that. I, I plan on having no opinion for at least two months. That's perfect. And then, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see you then.